0: To Revelation chapter 12. we we'll be concentrating on verses 1 through 6 this morning as we uh, make our way verse by verse through this incredible book. And today we come to one of these sections that's kind of easy to overlook or just sort of skip past and say, oh, that's a little odd. I don't know what's going on here, so let's just uh, skip to the good stuff. And that would be a mistake Because this uh, chapter is really important for understanding kind of the overall uh, meaning for the book and really gives a lot of information about uh, kind of the background of what's actually happening in this book and why things are the way they are in the world today and why they will be the way they are in the future also. And that's one of the skeptics... Uh, biggest questions uh, that they supposedly have. If you just give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, an atheist or uh, an agno- agnostic or something along those lines, why would a good God allow bad things to happen in the world? Well, let's go to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, and we'll we'll get a, a good reason why. Uh, why are things so crazy? in the world? Why is it so anti-God? Some may ask. Well, chapter 12 is a good place to go to get an answer for that question. And uh, last of all, how, how are things going to be made right? Well, I'll tell you, no other religion has an answer, a good answer for why bad things happen in the world, and more importantly, how they will be made right. And we find that answer in Revelation chapter 12. And so that's where we will be today as we look at Israel, her adversary, and her Christ. Of course, studying uh, the future things in the book of Revelation, the things which take place after these things according to revelation 1:19 and that's that's where we find ourselves but we're also within that section of the book we're in one of those uh intermissions or an intercalation you may hear it called a break in the narrative of the history where we're just getting a, an overview of things that are taking place during the tribulation and here today in our section, uh, things that happened a long time ago in the past, and I'm going to make the case that they happened like a really long time ago in the past. Some of these things took place that, and it is setting the stage for... Or giving more information about what's going on in the world and how God is fixing it, so that is that is important to keep in mind these these intermissions in in the uh, narrative of the book of Revelation. It can cause a lot of a lot of confusion if we don't get that right. One of the most important things to understand that we've been studying in the Sunday school hour, is the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ today, we are exempt from this seven-year period of history that we are studying in the book of Revelation. Now, and we may ask ourselves, you know, well, why is this this important then? Why should we even bother studying it or understanding these future events? We're not even going to play a part in it. Well, there's one reason for that is that somebody else, if you don't understand what Revelation is about, and we just, oh, who cares, because we're not going to be here. We have that sort of an attitude. Well, guess what? Not everybody else has that same sort of an attitude, and you can be easily deceived into believing that we're living in the tribulation now, or that There's no such thing as a tribulation, and we don't have to worry about any of that because it isn't real in the first place. Well, those uh, sorts of ideas have consequences, and so it's important to understand, that's just one reason why it's important to understand the book of Revelation, and as we have already seen and will see again later in Revelation, there is a blessing for reading and heeding these truths that we find here. So, in our, in the chronology of our history or our study anyway of the book of Revelation, that future seven-year tribulation period—that's what Revelation six through nineteen is all about. We find ourselves right about here in the narrative, and so we are in that intermission period where we've—it's kind of complex when it comes to the gap between the, the trumpets and the bowl judgments, because if you remember last week, we saw the seventh trumpet, but we're still not moving forward. We're still getting information about things that have happened in the distant past. We're even going to see some things that are going to happen uh, around this midpoint of the tribulation. We'll get into some of that in Revelation 12, and we'll see some things that are going to happen in this second half of the tribulation, I would. This is how I personally believe it's broken down seal judgments in the first half, a break, chapter seven, an intermission in chapter seven to describe some events of the tribulation, then the seventh seal, S- six trumpets, another break. We saw John's recommissioning, we saw the 144,000 witnesses. Uh, in some of these events, and then last time we saw the seventh trumpet, now we're going to get more uh, information about some underlying events of the tribulation period. Last time, again, we saw the seventh trumpet be blown in the end of Revelation 11, and we got a look forward to the time when Christ will reign. It doesn't the fact that we the seventh trumpet is a vision of Christ reigning doesn't mean that he's reigning right now it doesn't mean that he's reigning in our chronology or of the book of revelation it is simply looking forward to the time when he will reign at the end of the tribulation period this is a, very clearly a scene in heaven uh, therefore, we can, we can see all of time from the heavenly perspective. God is eternal. He's outside of time. He can show events that will take place in the future uh, without any problem. <laughs> the same way that we see things happening uh, before us today. Uh, we see that the king. last time we saw that the kingdom of the world... Became the kingdom of Christ or that it will become the kingdom of Christ. We're going to see more of this kingdom of the world today. Uh, The 24 elders were there in that scene indicating again the 24 elders being representative of the church. They are in heaven during this entire uh, tribulation period. They're praising God because of his coming kingdom to the earth. And then at the end, of chapter 11, like basically in one sentence, we saw a summation of, of the end times in one sentence. Uh, the, the nations are going to rage against God. Jesus Christ is going to pour out His wrath upon these nations. The dead are going to be judged and the righteous are going to be rewarded when Christ reigns in His kingdom. And then that brings us to today in Revelation twelve verses one through six. This is really a continuation of the heavenly vision, just seeing some other some other visions, if you will, or other signs that are that were revealed to the apostle John uh, that he recorded for us to give us background information for why these things are happening. Okay, end of Revelation eleven. Christ is going to rule and reign. Well. Where does he come from? Why is he going to reign? What is the purpose behind it? That's Revelation chapter 12 in a, in a nutshell. And we look at the various portions of Scripture, at least we should, understanding the rest of the Bible. Uh, and and not, every, not every book of the Bible is a complete theology if you will, that's one mistake that people oftentimes will make that they'll base their entire theology on the book of Matthew or the, their entire theology on just the gospels or their entire end times theology on the book of revelation. And, and that is a mistake. That's why we have spent so much time going to other places in the Bible to build a complete picture. And well, that's what God is doing for us here uh, in Revelation chapter 12, giving more information so that we have this background uh, information. So, in Israel, her adversary and her Christ, that's going to be our three points this morning. Who is Israel? We begin with. Notice again Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Notice that it it clearly says here, a great sign in heaven. Therefore, since the text is telling us that this is a sign, obviously there is symbolic meaning here. That's how the Bible indicates to us when we need to look for symbols and try to interpret what those symbols mean. For example, Revelation chapter 11 talks about the two witnesses. Better than that, Revelation chapter 7 talks about the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will minister during the tribulation period. There is nothing symbolic in that language at all. Nothing to indicate that the 144,000 witnesses are anything other than 12,000 Jewish people who come from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and minister during the time of the tribulation. We shouldn't just use our imaginations and come up with some explanation for who these people are other than what it says in the text. Here, on the other hand, the Bible is telling us that this is a sign. What you are seeing represents something. So then it's incumbent upon us to try to figure out from the Bible what this symbology means. And the the very first word in the Greek in this sentence here is chi, that's usually translated as, as and or also, something along those lines. It ties back, it, that word is used to, to tie what's about to come to what has already been said. So even though we're going to a new chapter in the book of Revelation, of course, the chapters and verses and all of these things, uh, ways to make the Bible more reference-friendly, if you will, uh, aren't inspired. And sometimes they get in the way of our understanding of of the passage. This is tied to Christ ruling and reigning. How is he going to reign? Where does he come from? Why is he going to reign? All of these uh, questions should be answered here for us. How is Christ to rule and reign in his kingdom. How is he able to do that? Well, he's able to do that because that's the way God has designed the world to be. He created man to rule and to reign over the earth. We can read about that in Genesis chapter 1. That was That is what is known as one of the divine institutions, uh, the, the concepts that are that are foundational to our understanding of, of God and the Bible and how the world works. You know, these uh, divine institutions that are under absolute assault in the world today. You wonder why some of the things, why... Uh, okay, I'll just give them a label. Why liberals will attack certain aspects of society? Well here we we have it right here, number one, personal responsibility. God created Adam and Eve with a personal responsibility the the ability to make decisions, not just the ability to make decisions but really the uh, the responsibility to make decisions to be able to think and come to conclusions and make a choice be, essentially between. Right and wrong. Are you going to obey me? Essentially, is uh, Adam's test. You have the responsibility and the right to to be able to do that. Uh, Next, marriage: one man, one woman for one life. That is God's standard. That is the way that He created marriage: one man, one woman married for life, and they were to uh, procreate. They were to fill the earth. That's, uh, that's God's commandment to the world. That is uh, what's, again, known as a divine institution, family. One man, one woman come together in marriage, have children, raise a family, and the system perpetuates itself. All of those are before uh, sin ever even entered into the world, then, after sin enters into the world, God makes some other institutions, the number one of which is government. There was to be a penalty for killing another human being because all human beings are created in the in the image of God. E- each one of us bears the image of God, therefore uh, taking another person 's life. Uh, Murdering them is punishable by death. Well, there needs to be a system in order to do that. That system is government. God also created nations. This is for the purpose of restraining evil. When people come together in one group and can share ideas, unlimitedly problems result. And we talked about that last week in social media and the the kind of the Internet in general, where we can uh, come together with a group of 10 million of our closest friends who all have the same sin problem as we do. And we can all just uh, be pitiful together and encourage one another in that sin area. That's a problem. We see the same thing happening at the Tower of Babel when, when man did not heed God's word to spread out and fill the earth. They said, no, we're going we're gonna to stay together here and we're going to actually build this tower. We're going to live in rebellion against you, God, because we don't like your rules. So God split them into nations for the purpose of restraining sin. God later created one special nation from the man named Abraham, and that nation is Israel, the, the uh, sixth divine institution. God divinely chose one nation through which the Messiah would come to the world for the ultimate restraining of sin, for the doing away with of sin, just like he promised to do in Genesis Three fifteen, so Christ is going to come from a nation why because that 's the way God instituted the world to be, uh, and so, in this vision that 's what we are seeing here. A great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, there are a number of people, a number of interpretations of who this woman is, but really there's only one interpretation of who this woman is that is consistent through all of the points that are mentioned in this chapter. You can make a case uh, for the woman to be Mary, for example. Because clearly we know from history that Mary gave birth to Jesus and uh, so that fits. However, there's a whole lot of other information here about this woman that is seen in the sign uh, that doesn't fit with Mary that we will uh, get to Shortly. And if you have an NASB here, uh, this chapter title or this uh, title that's over chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, maybe that one actually was inspired. That's a joke. But it actually gets it right. It says, The woman, Israel. And I looked at several other translations and the NASB was the only one that that hit the nail on the head here with who is being described in this sign of the woman and that is that it is the nation Israel because that is the only interpretation that fits with everything point by point that is described here in Revelation chapter 12 we don't we should not run to our imaginations to interpret what the sign is just because uh, it says that it is a sign. That is a very, very bad way to interpret the Bible. We need to primarily go to other scriptures to interpret the things that we see here. Uh, You know, we in uh, airline training, when we go, we go down to, uh, well, I go down to Dallas for training. Some other people could come up if they live south of Dallas. But uh, a phrase that you hear a lot of time during discussions is, well, in a previous life, we used to do things this way. Uh, And okay, that's fine, but the, the company is paying us to do things the way that they tell us to do it. We have one essentially one source of information for how we do things in our airplanes and it's what the company tells us. The Bible is similar in this also. We shouldn't go to Greek philosophy to understand what the Bible says. We shouldn't go to uh, Roman mythology or Egyptian mythology to try to interpret the Bible. We ought to go to the Bible and allow the Bible to interpret itself. It it uh, It is the standard. And that's what we need to do with this sign that we have here because we can go to a very clear reference that will show us what This sign is, and that is Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11. Now to set the stage for this, this is a a dream that Joseph had, if you will remember. uh, Joseph being one of the 12 sons of uh, Jacob. And uh, hence the nation of Israel was built from those 12 sons of Jacob. Well, one day Joseph has a dream. Uh, and we read about that in Genesis 37.9. Notice what it says. It says, now he, Joseph, had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me he related it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him what is this dream that you have had shall i and your mother and your brothers actually come down to bow ourselves down before you to the ground his brothers were jealous of him but his father kept the saying in mind his father realized that in the dream that joseph had he sees a he sees the sun the moon and the stars, twelve stars, bowing down; eleven stars, bowing down to him. And they are representative of the entire nation of Israel, his family, uh, his mother, father, and brothers, coming and bowing down for him. Well, notice again, gr- Revelation 12:1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. A fairly clear reference to the nation of Israel. And the, the dream that Joseph is having there is, uh, was played out in history that uh, Joseph's father, mother, and brothers came to Egypt and literally bowed down before him when he was there. And he saved the entire nation through uh, having been in Egypt and preparing grain for them. Uh, Paul makes this interesting reference to, uh, our mother in Galatians 4, 26, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, God's heavenly city. He is referring to there, uh, an interesting reference that we don't have tons of time to go into. Maybe someday we'll have to study Galatians and we can go into that in detail. But nevertheless, remember, already we've seen that the instruments of worship in the Jewish religion are copies of the things that are actually in heaven. The temple, uh, the tabernacle, the, the various pieces, the ark we saw last week. These are these are copies of things that actually are in heaven and that's what paul is referring to here he uses this same kind of analogy for jerusalem in galatians chapter 4 he compares hagar and sarah to bondage and freedom if you'll remember uh abraham had a wife Sarai at the time she did not have any children. Sarah, Sarai gave to Abraham Hagar to have a child. That's Ishmael. Later, according to the promise, Sarah actually had a child uh, that that is that the nation of Israel came through, uh, Isaac. And so Paul there is making this comparison saying that we are of the free woman Sarah. We we are not born in bondage like Hagar uh Ishmael was. We are from the promise of freedom. Works doing it through your own strength like uh Abraham and Hagar, Sarah, all together uh, came up with this idea of doing it through works, not through the promise of God, doing it via the flesh. That led to bondage, relying upon the promise, having faith in God, trusting in what he said he was going to do. That leads to the freedom, And and this is where our... Uh, heavenly freedom, if you will, comes from this heavenly Jerusalem. That's what Paul is referring to in a nutshell. Uh, Same kind of idea here in Revelation chapter 12. Our freedom is going to come out of this woman that is pictured in the sign. More evidence for the nation of Israel because there's all sorts of uh, interpretations of who this woman is. Most of them, most other uh, viewpoints are gonna, going to say that the woman is uh, the church and the, the child is the church also. Uh, the child can be Jesus. There's any number of interpretations that you can come to. But more evidence that she, that this woman is representative of Israel is that she has a... Son, that she is giving birth to a son. And that was a promise that was very, very clear to the nation of Israel that one day a son is going to be born to your nation who is going to be your consolation. He's going to be the one upon which the government rests. He's going to be the one that sits upon David's throne. He's going to rescue the nation of Israel. Uh, from her sins and all of these various things. They're very much looking forward to the time when a son would come out of the nation of Israel. And that's what's being uh, pictured here. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. That's the the Davidic covenant, if you will. The nation of Israel built on essentially four unconditional covenants, the Abrahamic covenant uh, out of where, where God promises to make a nation out of Abraham, a nation needs a land. Well, God took care of that in the land promise. They need people. God takes care of that in the new covenant in Jeremiah. But they also need a ruler. That's the seed covenant. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. A son, one who would rule forever, is promised to David, and that person is Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, Isaiah 9 6 through 7, Isaiah prophesies that for a child will be born to us, a child will be born to the nation of Israel. That we see that on our Christmas cards, but that us isn't talking about the church, it's talking about uh, the nation of Israel, to be exactly precise. this. They were very much looking forward to a son. That's why Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, begins with uh, a genealogy of Jesus Christ to show that this Jesus, who was born to Mary, to the nation, is the promised son. Notice also more evidence that not only is this woman giving birth to a child that is obviously of great importance, we see in the rest of our passage. But she also has to flee into the wilderness and she is protected. We see that uh, later in, in our passage, verse six, for one place, that she has to flee for a specific period of time. Uh, Mary uh, didn't have to flee for a specific period of Of time, as is denoted there. The church is never commanded to flee for a specific period of time. Only the nation of Israel is told to do that. Uh, Both Old and New Testament, Isaiah 26 being one reference, Daniel 12 speaks of this kind of thing. The only interpretation that fits all of the various points that are described here for who this woman could be is the nation of Israel, the nation that gives the world the Christ. That is who is being described here. Paul gives a a great description of the nation of Israel, who they are, what their purpose has been In in Romans chapter 9. And we see also in this uh, incredible passage, Romans nine ten and 11, that Israel has a future, that God isn't done with the nation of Israel just yet. He has some other things in store for her as a nation. Romans 9, 1, Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. That's who the nation of Israel is. That's who's being depicted here is that this woman is the nation of Israel and she is travailing in birth to give birth to a son. And so uh, our replacement theology friends and, and these kinds of folks are going to say, well, it couldn't be Israel because Israel has been rejected and so it it must be the church because this woman is seen here and such in a in a positive light well the problem with that interpretation is is that there is always in the history of the nation of israel there has always been a faithful remnant of people and that is what is being described here the faithful remnant of jewish people who are looking forward to the coming of their Messiah? Uh, the historicists see this uh, this the woman as the church and the son is Constantine. I mean, talk about using your imagination to interpret the Bible. Constantine is the one because he made uh, the Christian religion legal within uh, the Roman Empire. Yikes. The language and figures, however, are very clear here when we compare it to other uh, uh, portions of Scripture. The woman cannot be the church because the son is clearly Jesus Christ and the church did not give birth to the son. That's exactly the opposite of the truth. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church The church comes out of Christ, not the other way around. So the only uh, viewpoint, again, that will fit here is that the woman must be the nation of Israel. And notice that the woman also here has an adversary. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she gave so that when she gave birth he might devour the child. So who is uh the nation's adversary? Well, it is this great red dragon. Clearly another symbol. Then another sign appeared in heaven. So we ought to, again, just like we did with the nation, try to seek out places in the Bible that will describe who this woman is. We ought to do the same for this great red dragon and not uh, say that, oh, well, it must be China that is the, the enemy of Israel because after all, they're communists, so they're red and their symbol is oftentimes a dragon, so it's it's got to be China, right? That could be a mistake uh, because not only does the Bible tell us who the great red dragon is, it's even more specific than just that. The immediate context tells us who this dragon is. Revelation 12 and verse 9, just a few verses down, and the great red dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. No reason to rush off to some other place to interpret who the great red dragon is. Our passage tells us clearly that it is Satan. Use scripture to interpret Scripture, and when you can use the immediate context, that is absolutely the best way to interpret uh, the Bible. Allow the author to tell you who the uh, symbols represent or what the symbols represent. Don't rush off to uh, another book, uh, even another book of the Bible, if the immediate context is, is telling you That's one uh, another kind of related mistake that people will make in word studies, that you come across a word that has a disputed definition in the book of Revelation, and we go back to uh, Galatians to get the interpretation of that word or the definition of that word. Well, it's best to to see that definition the way it's used in Revelation. Uh, Next best would be the way that John... Uses that word, and then you could have the freedom to go to other authors to uh, find a definition for that term. Immediate context is definitely uh, the best way to go about interpreting this sign. Notice that he has that this great red dragon has seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Now, what in the world could this uh, be describing? Well, it's describing the kingdom of the world that we uh, just saw. It's describing uh, it's, it's describing Satan, but it's also used, the same kind of language is used to describe the kingdom of the world. Now, why in the world would that be? Well, uh, because Satan, in spite of what, we may want to believe Satan is the one who is in charge of this world. Jesus Christ is not ruling and reigning over this physical earth today. He's not sitting on his throne. Satan still has control of, of this world and, and kind of the governmental entities, if you will, of this world and things that are taking place in that regard. Luke 4, verses 5 through 7 are are all the evidence that we need for that. When Satan uh, tempted Christ in the desert, it says, And he, Satan, led him, Christ, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. When Adam sinned, he lost the right to rule and to reign over this earth. Satan usurped that. He now has the ability to do that. He can freely offer that to Christ if he will only worship him. We're also going to see that the future, uh, to give it a title, the future one world government is also described in very similar terms. A, a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. Revelation 17 verses 1 through 3 uses this same terminology. Notice what it says there. Then This is after the... Uh, Six bowls of wrath have been poured out. Notice it says then, uh, Revelation seventeen one. "...then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters." with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet, another term for red, beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. This future... One world government, sometimes you'll hear it called a revived Roman Empire, Uh, the fourth beast of Daniel, there's all kinds of names for this government that's going to exist in the future, uh, is described with the same terms that are used here to describe Satan. Why would that be? Because he is the one energizing it. He is kind of one with Satan the uh this future kingdom it can be called a revived roman empire because it is part of the fourth beast of the book of daniel that you can read about in revelation uh chapter 7 according to revelation or daniel chapter 9 this antichrist who will who we will read about in chapter 13 comes from the city of Rome. He comes from the same empire that will destroy Jerusalem in A.D. 70. That's Rome. So this Antichrist is going to come from uh, an area of the world that is part of the Roman Empire. So we see it as kind of a revived Roman Empire with the caveat, its headquarters is going to be In Babylon. And there's no, uh, we can read about that in Revelation 17. When we get there, uh, when we see Babylon, in spite of what even good theologians like Charles Ryrie will say, we don't insert Rome. If we can insert Rome when we read Babylon, why not Washington, D.C.? Why not New York City? Why not Flushing, Michigan? I mean, let's just, let's make it personal here. We can make it whatever we want. However, it says that it is Babylon. It has practically this uh, Satan has practically the same description as this future government because it is energized by him. It is his kingdom. His man will be in charge of it. Uh, there is what's sometimes been called the evil Trinity. We have the the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons making up one God. Well, Satan, like usual, copies God. He is part of the Trinity, of course. So is his Antichrist. And so is the false prophet that we will read about in Revelation 13. And they all come together to energize, make this future one world government that will in fact rule over the world this is the adversary obvious adversary of the woman the nation of israel here and notice that his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth it says in verse four and again this is kind of an overview of history that we are that we are getting here uh God has had this nation of Israel in mind from the beginning to bring his Messiah into this world, this promised one all the way from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, who will solve the problem of sin. Uh, the nation of Israel has been in travail to bring forth this son, and, and now we're, we are getting a viewpoint even of uh, part of why he needs to come into the world, that Satan, of course, has rebelled against God. Satan's, uh, Satan wanted to elevate himself to the position of God. He wanted worship. That's what we see in Luke chapter 4. Jesus being tempted, he wants God, essentially, to worship him. He wants to usurp the position of God. And so what we're seeing here in this vision of him sweeping uh, a third of the stars, I would submit to you is the angels who rebelled with God uh, that are being swept uh, along with Satan. He's taking his these fallen angels with him who uh, are oftentimes referred to in the scriptures as demons uh, who are going with Satan, and that is just simply a picture of what is seen here. Now some dispensationalists will say, well, you know, this is looking to the future. It's Satan and he's conquering a third of the world, taking in you know, all of these various uh kinds of interpretations and that's that's fine. But I think it's closer to see that the stars are as we have seen represent angels. Uh Satan of course is the dragon. He sweeps a third of the stars with him probably more in line with uh, uh, these being fallen angels. Because after all, is only a third of the world against Israel in the end? Or all of the world against Israel? The Bible says every nation is going to rebel and uh, go against the nation of Israel again, this is a scene in heaven is allowed to see events from a heavenly perspective he 's outside of time. We can see things in the beginning, the middle, the end in one vision there 's really no problem at all with that. Uh, some Old Testament passages describe the first and second coming in one verse that that shouldn 't be a problem. For us. But this dragon wants to devour the child, verse 4. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. This has always been Satan's scheme from the beginning, somehow to prevent Christ from dying for the sins of the world. Stop that from happening. If Satan could do that, he wins. Sin will be perpetuated forever if he can do that so he tries in Genesis 6 to uh taint the human bloodline so a so a human can't be born from a woman uh that fails god sends a flood in uh response to that uh he tries to literally kill the child when he is born according to Matthew 2 and verse 16 after uh, Jesus is actually born. Herod orders the murder of all the babies uh two years and under there in his under his domain uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus of course escape from that, and he 's not murdered he 's trying to prevent the loss of his kingdom genesis three fifteen God promised that this seed of the woman would crush the head of satan your kingdom will not last forever one day somebody who's going is going to be born who will uh, end the rule and reign of sin in this world and that person is jesus christ of course But Satan, even though Jesus has been born, he doesn't go down without a fight. Did you ever, did you notice that it's kind of the same way in the world today? You know, even uh, Roe versus Wade, it's uh, ruled as unconstitutional. And, uh, you know, hey, that ought to be it, right? Now we're living in a nation that just respects life and, and everybody can just get along and be happy. Everybody can be allowed to live. Isn't that awesome? No, <laughs> that's not the way it goes. They do, uh, the, the, I'll just say it. The enemies of God do not go down without a fight. Don't, don't, rest on your, don't rest on your laurels. Never give up. There's somebody on, I think it's Seymour Road, has a sign in their yard that says, don't give up. Uh, that's a great sign. I like that sign. Don't give up. Because even though you see these small victories, Satan still wants to destroy you personally. He wants your life to be a wreck as a believer so that you can't have a testimony with your family, your friends, your co-workers. Uh, he wants you to be miserable as a, as a believer. That, that makes Satan very, very happy. Peter tells us about that in 1 Peter 5:8 be sober be of sober spirit be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour that's what he wants to do he's not going down without a fight that's what the entirety of uh, really uh, revelation moving forward is all about satan isn't going down without a fight don't don't just sit back and think oh And since we're not going through the tribulation, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about Satan. Well, you ought to, because he wants to wreck, ruin, destroy your life. But we have, uh, we too have, or we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ. He's provided us with his word. His Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we rely upon him and his word, we can overcome this adversary that we have. And we do that primarily, of course, through uh, the Christ who came through this nation. Verse 5 of Revelation 12, and she gave birth to a son a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there should, she would be nourished for 1,260 days. She gave birth to a son, a male child This, boy, this will get you canceled in in the world today. If you're just mentioning these facts of biology, facts of the world around us, she gave birth to a son, and if that's not enough, a male child, it says there. Uh, This obviously is something that is promised throughout the Bible. Again, Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan, Genesis four one. Uh, now the man had relations with his wife Eve. It says of Adam and Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, "I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord." A kind of a better translation of that is that she thinks this is the Lord, uh, and uh, who is born. She thinks this is this is the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of Satan not quite. (laughs) He turns out to be a murderer. Uh, And the Bible has a good way of showing us exactly who the Christ will be. No, it's not going to be Cain. Uh, No, it's not going to be Moses. He sinned. No, it's not going to be Abraham. It's not Isaac. It's not Jacob. It's not any of the 12 sons. It's not even David. He sins. It's not Solomon. Uh, That's for sure. It's Jesus Christ, the one who is never shown to have Sin. Luke 2.25 is a verse about how the nation expected him to come. They even expected him to come at that particular time. Some people did. Uh, John 4.25, the woman at the well knows that the Messiah is coming. And of course, Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, Born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The Bible has no problem uh, talking about gender and the two genders that are in existence. In fact, this whole, this whole debate is, uh, can just be crazy, obviously. <laughs> gender is foundational to who we are as people created in God's image. And this is why it's under assault today. These people hate God, period. End of discussion. They want to undermine everything that there is to be undermined about God. They want to destroy the very foundations of his world. They want to usurp his authority, the created order. Does that remind you of someone else or something, a person who we just talked about in the last point Uh, they're trying to usurp the authority of god exactly the same thing that satan does and is doing and i would make the case is doing through these people which is very unfortunate uh, of course, there are genetic mutations in people and, and malfunctions and problems with people and the development of their reproductive systems. That's not even, that shouldn't even be a discussion. That's not what this is about. That's an anomaly uh, and not what what is being discussed. Men are men and women are women. Uh, women and only women adult female people have babies <laughs> i it's it's so ridiculous that the, that we even need to spend time on these kinds of things that are so inherently obvious about nature and just about the world around us but this is the state that we find ourselves in one particular nation was to have one particular woman who was to give birth to one particular son. And that is Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. Israel gave birth to him. And that is what is being presented here. This one who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. The Bible is, is pretty Explicitly clear about this truth that there is coming one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron psalm two nine psalm one ten Revelation nineteen describes him the same way as is described here in Revelation twelve. Now one thing that is easy to overlook we we I guess i shouldn't say we I read this imagery imagery of ruling with a rod of iron, and I see crushing and Uh, eradicating all of the enemies, Uh, sin happens and kaboom, you get hit with a rod of iron and it's not very pleasant. And that is uh, one aspect of the ruling of of Christ with a rod of iron. But the term is actually uh, poimeno is the Greek term. And it is often translated as shepherd. That just sort of gives a whole different connotation to the word that he is shepherding with a rod of iron. Yes, uh, there is an aspect of discipline that goes along with shepherding, but it's also shepherding, caring for, tending to, feeding, watering, making sure that these that these nations and people have the things that they need just like a shepherd does for its sheep the term literally according to the Bdag means to protect guide and provide for and that's what Christ is going to do he's we've seen that in revelation 7 and verse 17 we see the same idea portrayed in a little different light. Uh, Revelation 7:16 For they they will no longer hunger nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, poimeno, and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away Every tear from their eyes. That is what Christ is going to do in the future. Uh, Before that, he was caught up to heaven. Harpazo is the Greek term there. Same term that's used oftentimes for the rapture. Uh, this, This is a historical fact. That's exactly what happened. Christ was born and he was, lived his life, and was caught up to heaven. Before then, he promised that he was going to be caught up to heaven in John 14, in the upper room. Uh, John fourteen one: Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to be caught up to heaven To prepare a place for believers. And that's exactly what happened at the ascension of Christ. Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, that event of history is described that Christ is caught up to heaven, Uh, to his throne, it says there. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now whose throne is Christ caught up to? there well we just apply some simple rules of grammar there it's to god's throne god the father's throne when you see a, a pronoun uh, it, uh, we'll leave it alone pronoun his there a pronoun typically refers to the previous the closest previous noun in the sentence to God and to his throne. So his there refers to the father's throne, not Christ's throne. Christ isn't on his throne right now. He is at the father's throne. We've already discussed this back in Revelation 3.21. And the final message to the church in Laodicea Jesus says, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Two different thrones there. Jesus's throne, that one is going to be on earth in Jerusalem, sometimes referred to as David's throne. Jesus isn't on that throne yet. He is at the father's throne where he over, he overcame sin in this life, gave his life on the cross for all of our sins, so that we could trust in him and have the forgiveness of sins and be righteous and enter into his kingdom. That's the only way we can be there. In the meantime, he is at the right hand of the Father, uh, the present session of Christ interceding for you and for me at the Father's right hand on the Father's throne not yet on His throne that is in the future. Before Christ comes and sits on His throne this woman, the nation is of Israel is going to be protected. We see that also in Revelation 12, 13 and 14 that we'll probably get to next week. She's protected in the wilderness uh, for twelve, one thousand two hundred and sixty days. That coincidentally equals three and a half years of uh, thirty, three three hundred and sixty day years, thirty day months, precisely three, uh, three and a half years, just as was promised in Daniel. Chapter 9 and verse 27, that in the middle of the seventh week, the Antichrist, uh, inspired by Satan, is going to defile the future temple. And the people are warned by Jesus himself, Matthew 24, 15 through 28, that when you see that happen, you need to flee. You will be given divine protection as you flee, nation of Israel. Go into the wilderness, and you will be protected there for three and a half years until Christ comes again so that 's the first part of revelation twelve Israel her advers- uh, Israel her adversary and her Christ Israel is this promised nation of God that would bring to us the Messiah. She has an adversary who is Satan himself, also obviously our adversary, but she importantly has her Christ, who is Jesus, the one who died for all of us. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that we've been able to look into. Thank you for the book of Revelation that tells us uh, not only so much about the future, but tells us so much about the past. And in that past, we know that we have a Savior, the perfect Son of God, eternal Son of God, who came out of heaven, lived in this world, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then gave his life for our sins, and then returned to you in heaven. We thank you for the past ministry of christ in dying for our sins we thank you for the present ministry of christ where he is our advocate at your right hand and we thank you for his future ministry where he will rule and reign and provide for us and shepherd us for eternity and we so look forward to that i pray that you would help us to live our lives in light of these incredible truths we pray in jesus name amen And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. And all God's people said, amen.